Hi, I'm Zanal Valimse, and our scripture reading this morning comes from John 1:14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That is the Word of the Lord. Merry Christmas, Grace 242. Three months after cancer claimed the life of former Packers coach Vince Lombardi, the National Football League renamed the trophy that is presented to the team that wins the Super Bowl. Here's what Packers Hall of Famer Jerry Kramer says. He was from Brooklyn, the son of a butcher, tough as nails. Lombardi's name is on the Super Bowl trophy because no other name personifies football like Lombardi. When you hear the word Lombardi, you think everything football, grit, hard work, practice, perfection, execution, team, play. You think all of these things. Nobody personifies football like the name Lombardi. In 2014, Lambeau Field reopened after extensive renovations. And one of the additions in those renovations was a 50-foot replica of the Lombardi Trophy. Taking after Nebuchadnezzar, team president Mark Murphy issued a memo that every time the Go Pack Go jingle was played, all staff and visitors in the stadium would stop and bow to the Lombardi Trophy statue. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But that's what I think about when I see that monstrosity. Like, yeah, this reminds me of Nebuchadnezzar's statue. Why did they include this gaudy, ridiculous element in the new additions? Whatever, it's just something else to attract the crowds, I guess. The Lombardi Trophy bears Vince's name because he was football personified. Lombardi was football personified and Jesus is God's word personified. Think about your own words for a second. In one sense, your word is you. It expresses your inner thoughts, your inner desires, your inner motivations. So in one sense, your word is you because it's coming from you. But in another sense, your word is distinct from you. You put it out into the world. For instance, you come home from work and you tell the family, let's get pizza tonight. And your wife is on board because she doesn't have to make supper then and the kids are on board because kids love pizza. And so by you simply saying the word, let's get pizza for supper, you affect something happening, which is your family getting pizza. You put your word out into the ether and something happens as a result of it. So in one sense, your word is you because it reveals you. But in another word, your word is distinct from you because you put it out into the world and it can affect change. It can affect things actually happening. This helps you understand how John can say in John 1 verse 1 that the word was with God because the Son is distinct from the Spirit and the Son is distinct from the Father. But at the same time, the word was God because the Son is God. The Son is divine. The Son is God himself. We've been looking at four strokes of theology that John is drawing for us when he uses this word, word. And in part one of this message, we saw how Jesus is the personification of God's creative word, and he is the personification of God's vocal word. And today we're gonna to look at how Jesus is the personification of God's prophetic word, and he is the personification of God's written word. Let's look at the prophetic word. Now, when we hear the word prophetic or the word prophecy, we might think about future telling or forth telling or predicting events that will happen in the future. 
And certainly, the prophets in the Bible did talk about the future. And Bob Turner, a few weeks ago, talked to us about how God fulfilled all of those prophecies in this miraculous way that only God could. He fulfilled all those future predictions that were made by the prophets in the Bible. So certainly, future telling is an aspect of prophecy. But when we hear the prophetic or think about prophecy, we need to imagine a prophet functioning as a messenger from God. When the prophet speaks, the prophet is functioning as God's mouthpiece. When the prophet has a message for God's people, it is not the prophet's own message, it is the message of God that the prophet is then bringing and relaying to the people. And often, that message is a message of a call to obedience to God. The prophet is telling the people that they need to bring their behavior and they need to bring their ways and their lives back into alignment with what God has said. The people need to turn away from their sin, turn away from their disobedience, repent, and return to God and obey what God has said. So a prophet is functioning as God's mouthpiece, often bringing people back or calling people back to obedience to God. Two quick prophetic examples are Moses and Joshua. Let's look at what Deuteronomy 18 verses 15 and 18 say about Moses. 15 first, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And now look at 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. These are not Moses' words. These are God's words that he places in Moses' mouth to then speak to the people, reminding them to be obedient to God. And now let's look at Jeremiah. We're going to read Jeremiah 1 verse 9. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Moses and Jeremiah are prophets because they are functioning as God's mouthpieces. God has put God's words in the mouths of Moses and Jeremiah to speak to the people and to remind them, to call them back to obedience to God and what God has said. The Israelites were recipients of God's prophetic word and the church today, us, we are recipients of God's prophetic word. And so therefore, as recipients of God's prophetic word, we need to test, we need to authenticate the words of prophecy as words truly from God or not. We are to test them to see if they are truly words from God or not. Here's what John says in 1 John 4 verse 1. Here's what he instructs the people to do when it comes to prophecy. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God or not, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. So John himself instructs us as recipients of God's prophetic word to test those words to see and authenticate if they are truly words from God or not. Well, how? Well, last time we talked about hearing from God, and I said that one of the ways that you test whether you've heard from God or not is to hold up what God has said with his written word and make sure that the two match. Because if what God has supposedly said doesn't match with his written word, then that's not a word from God. And the same goes with prophecy. If the words of prophecy that are spoken do not match or are not in alignment with God's written word, the Bible, 
then those are not words of prophecy from God. That is not a prophetic word from God. That is not an authentic word from God. If it doesn't match with scripture, then it's not an authentic prophetic word from God. Now, I do believe that the Holy Spirit still gifts the gift of prophecy to those whom he chooses to give that gift to. So I do believe that the gift of prophecy is alive and active in the church today. And what I found is that those who have the gift of prophecy, those who use the gift rightly and use the gift as they ought, which is a blessing to God's church, to build up God's church, those who use that gift rightly will often say up front, this prophetic word needs to be submitted to God's written word, the Bible. They'll say right up front, like if we're going to do prophetic prayer over somebody, or if we're going to pray words of prophecy or speak words of prophecy over somebody, the people doing so will say right up front. Now, just to remember everybody, what's said here needs to match with God's word in the long run to hold up, to be a truly prophetic word. And I've found that even those people that have the gift of prophecy, they'll even say in their prayers, God, whatever's not from you, will it just fall away? But whatever is from you, Lord, we pray that it would be made powerful and effective in this person's life through the power of your Holy Spirit. So we need to test the prophetic word by holding it up to God's written word, the Bible. Now, another tool I'd give you, or just another reminder I'd give us all when it comes to prophecy, is that God works through human beings. The Holy Spirit gifts the gift of prophecy to those whom he chooses to gift that gift to. But those human beings are still fallen individuals. Those human beings are still subject to the curse of sin, just like everybody else in this world. Humans are fallible. We are not 100% reliable. But do you know what is 100% reliable? This, God's written word, the Bible, is 100% reliable. Humans are subject to the curse of sin. We are subject to error. We are subject to mistakes. Not this, not God's written word. It is 100% trustworthy, 100% true. It is infallible without error. So as we think about the prophetic, remember that the gift is exercised through fallen human beings, but God's word is 100% reliable. God's word is 100% true. Think about that as you take in words of prophecy. I remind us of that difference between fallible human beings and infallible Bible, because I know some of us like to listen to people who have the gift of prophecy. And I know that you're doing this discernment, that you're testing the spirits like John instructs us to do. We wouldn't listen to this person if they didn't align with God's word. But I want us to remember that if we're listening to this person that has the gift of prophecy more than we're reading God's word, then we're out of balance. Because we should always get more from God's word itself than from people who have the gift of prophecy. If the person with the gift of prophecy is a greater voice and a greater influence on us than what God's written word, the Bible, is in our lives, that's an imbalance. And we need to have less of the person with the gift of prophecy and more of God's written word, the Bible. That's just a reminder for us. Now go back to 1 John 4 again, and we're gonna read verse one again, but this time we're gonna continue on through verse three. So this is 1 John 4, verses one to three. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. 
every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Here, John gives us another tool for testing prophecy. How do we know whether a prophetic word is truly from God or not? Well, look at verse 2. A true prophetic word confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is from God. A true prophetic word affirms the incarnation. A true prophetic word affirms that Jesus, the eternally begotten Son, left His throne in heaven, was born to the Virgin Mary as a human baby, remains as such today as He reigns from His ascended position at the right hand of the Father. A true word of prophecy will affirm the incarnation that Jesus took on flesh. That's a true word of prophecy. Conversely, false prophecy denies that Jesus is the Messiah. False prophecy denies that Jesus is God's Word personified. True prophecy affirms the Incarnation. False prophecy denies that Jesus is the Messiah. Go back to our scripture reading today in John 1 verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. True prophecy, this is how you know whether prophecy is true or not. True prophecy affirms that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. True prophecy affirms the Incarnation. Now turn to the book of Hebrews, and the author of Hebrews is just going to drive this point home for us. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 1, and we'll read verses 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Look at that, we even got the creative word in there, through whom he created the world. Long ago, he spoke to us through whom? Through the prophets. But now, who has succeeded them? Who has personified that prophetic word? He has spoken to us through his son, Jesus. The prophetic word is personified in his son, Jesus. Long ago, he spoke to us by the prophets, but now he speaks to us through whom? Through his son, Jesus. Jesus, the prophetic word personified, the prophetic word with a face on it. Let's do some review here. Jesus is the creative word personified. He is the vocal word personified. He is the prophetic word personified. And he is the written word personified. Let's look at John 5 and we'll read verses 37 to 39. And as you're turning there, let me set this up for you. Jesus has healed a man by the pool of Bethesda. This man had been sick for 38 years. I'm 36 right now. So this man was sick two years longer than I've been alive for my entire life. Jesus has healed him, and he did so and caught the eye of the religious leaders. And the Jewish leaders are incensed that Jesus would have the audacity to heal, to work on the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders are angered that Jesus has performed this act of work, this act of healing on the Sabbath day. And here's part of Jesus' response to them. We'll read John 5, 37 to 39. Jesus says, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. That reminds me of John 1, verse 18, where John says, No one has ever seen God. Continuing now with verse 38 and you do not have his word, logos, abiding in you. 
for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. See what Jesus says in 39? The scriptures bear witness to me. The scriptures point to me. Do you see what the Jewish leaders are missing here? The Jewish leaders know the Hebrew scriptures backwards and forwards. Off the top of their head, they know it like the back of their hands. And they know that one of the things those scriptures say is to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. No working on the Sabbath day. But yet when salvation himself shows up in front of them and performs a miracle, and speaks to them in the flesh, salvation himself, the Messiah Jesus, they don't see him for who he truly is because they are looking for salvation in the scripture. They are looking for salvation in the law. They are looking for salvation in this written code of laws. And when salvation himself shows up, they miss him because it is the scriptures that point to salvation himself, Jesus. They're looking for salvation over here when salvation himself is standing before them in the flesh. One of my favorite classes that I took in seminary was on the book of Hebrews. It was a week-long summer intensive, and it was with this amazing professor, a man by the name of Dr. Gerald Borchert. And he would just sit at his desk, Bible open, and he, I don't think he had any teaching notes. He just had his Bible. And he would just teach us from the Word of God as it sat open on his desk. And the best part of the class was that he would transition almost seamlessly from teaching to a mini-sermon applying what he had just taught us from the book of Hebrews to our lives. That was the best part is that he would immediately just turn right around and teach us something on the application of what he had just taught us. And I remember that one of those mini-sermons that he seamlessly transitioned into began with these words. He said, we are not Bible worshipers. And that statement never left me. We are not Bible worshipers. I think that statement stuck with me because it really put a finger on something in my life. We're not Bible worshipers. We worship Jesus, the Messiah. We don't worship the Bible. We worship Yahweh, who has revealed himself to us in the face of his son, Jesus Christ. We are not Bible worshipers. We are worshipers of Jesus, the Messiah, God incarnate. That's whom we worship. Jesus is the object of our worship, not the Bible. My friend, Pat Dirksey, whom some of you have met, is the pastor of City Church of Compton in Compton, California. And City Church is part of the Reformed tradition, just like us. And Pat likes to joke about the Reformed Trinity. Here's the Reformed Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures. <laughs> and I like that kind of funny joke because it's true. Reformers have such a high view of the Word of God, which I'm proud of. I'm proud of our heritage of lifting high the Word of God. As far as theological heritages and traditions go, you'd be hard-pressed to find a theological heritage that has a higher view of the Word of God than the Reformed theological tradition. And I'm proud of that. I'm proud of our high view of the Word of God. But what we're in danger of in our high view of the Word of God is elevating the Word of God into the Godhead itself, of elevating the Word of God into the Trinity 
at often the ignoring of the Holy Spirit. But we're getting better at not ignoring the Holy Spirit because he's amazing. But we as reformers, if we're going to fall off the side of the horse, we're going to fall off the side that elevates scriptures to the object of our worship, where we actually supplant Yahweh and his son, Jesus the Messiah, with the Bible. And we actually become Bible worshipers instead of Jesus worshipers. I grew up in the Reformed tradition, and I attended an undergrad Moody Bible Institute, so literally Bible was our middle name. And this, we're not Bible worshipers, was a seismic shift in my own personal life. This is close to my heart because this is what I've experienced. I would say for most of my life, probably up until about 2012 or 2013, I was functionally, largely, a Bible worshiper. And it wasn't until 2012, 2013-ish that I came to truly see who Jesus is, to truly enter into a relationship with Jesus, to truly fall in love with Jesus, and to truly direct my worship to the rightful object of that worship, who is Jesus. It wasn't until about 2012, 2013 that I became a Jesus worshiper, recovering from most of my life being a Bible worshiper. I would say that when I was a Bible worshiper for most of my life, here are the words that were describe my faith as a Bible worshiper. Dead, empty, lifeless, boring, colorless, joyless, stale, leaving me wanting for more. Those are the words that would describe my faith while I was a Bible worshiper. And then by God's grace, I came to truly know who Jesus is and enter into a relationship with him in about 2012, 2013, and direct my worship to him, not toward the Bible, but to Jesus. And now, since I made that shift, here are the words I would use to describe my faith. Vibrant, essential, life-giving, powerful, effective, loving, personal, energizing. Those are all the words that would describe my faith now because I'm in a relationship with a person and my worship is directed to a person. And that person is the Messiah himself, Jesus. This was a huge shift for me in my faith. For most of my life, I had been worshiping the Bible. And it wasn't until recently that I found a true relationship in worshiping Jesus Christ. Jesus himself says, you search the scriptures to find salvation, but the scriptures point to me because it's in me that you find salvation. Salvation is not in the Bible. We aren't saved by reading the Bible. We are saved by entering into relationship with Jesus Christ. Salvation comes from Jesus. Sure, the scriptures point to him, but we don't worship the scriptures, we worship Jesus. Now, I don't want to ever lose, as reformers, our high view of the Bible. In fact, that's our history, right? That's where we came from. We left a place that had diminished the Bible, so much so that they fell into all sorts of trouble and all sorts of problems. So we left that place because we want a high view of the Bible, and I don't want to lose that. But at the same time that we have a high view of the Bible, we need to remember that we don't worship the Bible. We worship the one to whom the written word of God points, and that is the word himself, salvation himself, Jesus Christ. We are saved not from the Bible. We are saved from Jesus himself. Jesus is the written word personified. 
In Jesus, God has shown us who He is. In Jesus, God has personified His Word. I read this scripture in part one of this message, but it's so good, we're going to read it again. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God who said, who God, for God who spoke His creative word, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God shown to us where? In the face of Jesus Christ. God has personified His Word. He's put a face on His Word, and that face is the face of His eternally begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's Word personified. If Lombardi personifies football, then Jesus personifies God's Word. Jesus puts a face on God's creative Word. Jesus personifies God's vocal Word. Jesus personifies God's prophetic word, and Jesus personifies God's written word. In your house, churches, talk about what you're going to remember from this series. If it's one thing that you're taking away from this word series, what is it? And then I want you to talk about how great the gift of Jesus is to us, knowing that God has put a face on his word, and that face is his son, Jesus, how great of a gift to us is that? How great of a gift to us is the fact that Jesus became human and showed us who God is. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, that God has shown us himself in the face of his Son, Jesus Christ. What does that tell us about who God is? What does that tell us about how God feels towards us? What does that tell us about God's desires towards us, for us, about us? We also said today that Jesus is God's prophetic word personified. What do you think about when you hear the word prophecy or the word prophetic? Maybe some of you have some experience with the spiritual gift of prophecy. And if you do, please talk about how you do John's command to test the spirits. How do we test a prophetic word to authenticate whether it's really from God or not? Talk about your experience ensuring that this truly is God's prophetic word to us. And then we also said that Jesus is the personification of God's written word. Have you had an experience like mine where you used to be a Bible worshiper? Or maybe you come from a context that's the other side of the horse. Maybe you come from a place that had a very low view of God's Word. And you can talk about what that was like. How do you hold this balance of making sure that we have a high view of God's Word, but at the same time making sure that we're not worshiping His Word, but that we're worshiping Jesus? What's your Bible reading regimen? But then how do you make sure that you use your Bible reading to actually deepen your relationship with Jesus and it doesn't just become this academic, empty exercise in reading a book? How do you make sure that you're reading the Bible, looking to Jesus, looking to become more like Him, looking to grow deeper in your relationship with Him? Maybe you have an experience like mine where you went from being a Bible worshiper to a Jesus worshiper. And maybe you could share with your house church what that experience was like. Merry Christmas. I love you, Grace 242. I'll see you next time.